This is Radio Ukraine International with the weekly program Ukraine Global, prepared by Viktoria Krukova, presented by Vera Kravchenko and produced by Irina Samsonova. This edition of Ukraine Global is about confiscated Russian assets in Ukraine and how the state can get refunds from the oligarchs directly financing Russian aggression. Ukrainian media have recently published a massive report by Elizabeth Owen about confiscated Russian assets in Ukraine. The report is based on findings by Ukrainian journalists Maxim Savchuk, Nadia Burdier and Georgi Shabayev in a probe by Schemes, the investigative unit of Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty's Ukrainian service. According to the report, Prime Minister Denis Shmihal has cited Ukraine's own example of confiscating sovereign and private Russian assets within its borders to urge Kyiv's allies to do the same and contribute to a war recovery effort estimated to cost over $700 billion. But Ukraine's experience seizing these assets has proven problematic and slow-moving. Out of a list of 905 Russian state assets, only two, Prominvestbank and the International Reserve Bank, have been transferred to the National Investment Fund of Ukraine's control since the campaign of confiscations began in May 2022, three months after Moscow launched its large-scale invasion of the country. And, despite presidential decrees authorizing sanctions against a number of Russian oligarchs, only four, Oleg Deripaska, Evgeny Giner, Mikhail Shelkov and Vladimir Yevtushenko, have actually lost their Ukrainian assets. Meanwhile, businesses that the government charges belong to other Russian oligarchs, among them Kyiv's largest shopping entertainment complexes, a retail bank and a mineral water manufacturer still operate in Ukraine, albeit with restrictions. Schemes reporting suggests three areas where obstacles routinely complicate or impede Kyiv's domestic efforts to convert thousands of Russian-owned assets into compensation for the destruction caused by the invasion that began on February 24, 2022. A week after that, on March 3, 2022, Ukraine adopted the fundamental law that governs its confiscations of Russian property on Ukrainian-controlled territory. Kyiv uses a three-pronged approach, and each requires the approval of at least five government bodies. For the shortest approach, forcible seizures of state-owned Russian assets, dubbed nationalizations, the Cabinet of Ministers proposes targets to the National Security and Defense Council for approval. The National Security and Defense Council then submits the targets to President Volodymyr Zelensky to decree their takeover. That decree goes to the Parliament for approval. The National Investment Fund of Ukraine then takes the assets. The government pays no compensation for any confiscations. Ukraine used this mechanism last May for what they are, to date, its only confiscations of Russian state-owned assets. The takeovers of Prominvestbank, officially the Joint Commercial Industrial Investment Bank, which is owned by the state development finance organization VEB.RF, and that of the International Reserve Bank, owned by Sberbank, the Russian government-run savings bank. Earlier this month, Denis Shmihal said that 17 billion grievnes, equivalent to $460 million, confiscated from these two banks were already available in the budget and would be used for reconstruction. But the confiscations of Russian state-owned assets have gone no further. 
Early last August, the Cabinet of Ministers approved the confiscation of the remaining 903 Russian state-owned assets in Ukraine and submitted the document for the approval of the National Security and Defense Council. Ari Mora from the Ukrainian Legal Advisory Group believes that the confiscation of Russian assets in Ukraine is still an open question. The state tries to understand how to do it correctly. So when it comes to confiscation of uh, Russian property in Ukraine or abroad, uh, when it be it uh, Russian sovereign property as a state or private property or Russian citizens, the question of legality comes up uh, in the first place uh, or it doesn't come up right now but will come up at some point uh, when the decisions that are being made uh, right now may or may not be challenged uh, in various institutions. And uh, therefore, in Ukraine, but also abroad, this is still a, an open question in terms of uh, like what is the most accurate way to confiscate the assets and uh, uh, how to do it in a way that would uh, less likely than cause a successful challenge in courts uh, with, the, with, the re- with the reimbursement that would follow. That's why, for example, in the majority of countries uh, around the world where the assets are car- currently frozen, they are not necessarily confiscated or the decisions are not enforced yet. In case of Ukraine, there are mostly um, kind of three situation, three kind of situations. So, be it uh, it's it's either the countries or sorry the companies that uh, Russia owned uh, or owns, uh, such as uh, Russian banks or the uh, companies and businesses that uh, Russia has uh, its share in, or private Russians property uh, which. Uh, varies from real estate to businesses and so on and so forth. And uh, with that, based on the law that Ukraine has enacted uh, in uh, March 2022, uh, some of it has been uh, confiscated and uh, either re- and either uh, uh, included and transferred uh, as fun as a funds uh, to the budget or to the uh, state property fund of Ukraine. However, with the majority of such assets, it is still pending and it is not fully clear like what's it's, what its face what, what its faith would be. Many of those are planned to be sold on uh, auctions. However, not all of them have been done so yet. And therefore, it is still a hanging situation where it's unclear what will be the uh, outcome. Said Ari Mora. The National Security and Defense Council requested that the Economy Ministry revise the document, but the document has not yet progressed to the next stage. The National Security and Defense Council and the Cabinet spokespeople told Schemes. Citing her busy schedule, Economy Minister Yulia Sviradenko, who coordinates Ukraine's interagency working group on war-related sanctions, declined Schemes' request for an interview about the confiscation process. 
Meanwhile, without a list approved by the National Security and Defense Council, no further confiscations of Russian sovereign assets can occur. It could be millions of hectares of real estate, shares in technology companies, a mine, a Belarusian tractor plant, or a fleet of luxury cars and SUVs. In August, Zelensky said that there were 36,000 items in Ukraine that were owned by residents of the terrorist state, a reference to Russia, and that Kyiv could seize them as compensation for the war. Getting a government case to the high anti-corruption court to do so, however, is far from straightforward. You're listening to Radio Ukraine International, and this edition of the weekly program, Ukraine Global, is about confiscated Russian assets in Ukraine and how the state can get refunds from the oligarchs directly financing Russian aggression. Although the National Security and Defense Council voted on sanctions in November 2022 against 1,000 individuals, whom it believes represent senior echelons of the Russian government and participated in the annexation of a fourth of Ukraine's territory. Zelensky, as of late February, had not issued decrees authorizing these sanctions. The deputy head of the presidential office, Andriy Smirnov, who prepares decrees for the president's signature, conceded presidential decrees may not have been issued for a certain number of decisions about confiscations, but said he needed additional time to establish the reasons. Technical nuances may have been the cause, he added. Presidential decrees prime the next step in the process, a petition by the Justice Ministry to the High Anti-Corruption Court for the confiscation of Russian assets. Since June 2022, the court has issued 13 rulings for the confiscation of Russian assets. As of mid-March 2023, however, only four of these cases affected Russian magnates – Deripaska, Giner, Shelkov and Yevtushenko. The government has released no official total value for the seized property, which ranges from technology firm shares and a mine to $270 million worth of real estate. Zelensky has issued decrees to sanction thousands of Russia's most prominent citizens, including individuals whose assets rank among the largest in Ukraine for alleged connections to Russia's invasion. These decrees empower Ukraine to file lawsuits to confiscate sanctioned Russians' property. Yet the Justice Ministry filed no additional lawsuits to claim the assets of Russian oligarchs until March 3, 2023. Insufficient time and staff at the ministry to prepare court cases could be part of the reason, according to Tetyana Hutor, who chairs the non-profit Institute of Legislative Ideas, an anti-corruption advocate that analyzes Ukraine's confiscation procedures. Ari Mora said in a comment. The second question, however, is the issue of uh, systemic approach. And uh, it is an issue both in Ukraine, but also abroad in terms of how to use this this assets, even if we find a way or even when we find a way to actually utilize them and uh, put them into use. Uh, and in that sense, there are several possible opportunities within Ukraine. This is uh, an issue of uh, there have been multiple initiatives set, initiatives set up in terms of the overcoming the aftermath of the armed conflict initiatives in terms of the compensations funds and etc however it is still yet to be fully established and it really depends on how it will be established it will really affect the how far 
this the assets will be used efficiently how far they will maximize the utility and the protection of rights of those who have suffered from the war that russia is waging against ukraine and the crimes that it has committed and the crimes that have been committed within the the context of the war this goes both nationally but also internationally so these funds could potentially go into enactment of decisions of the European Court of Human Rights, uh, potentially of uh, for reparations that can be paid uh, to victims by the International Criminal Court, other institutions that uh, might be established or are, are already established. But again, this really depends on first whether there will be a way and what the what there will be a way on actually using the frozen assets and where they will be transferred and second of all whether there will be a strategic systematic approach when when deciding on where to send these funds because right now a while there are some negotiations it does seem like it's a more of a a case-by-case approach for each independent country and uh like some of them are uh, saying that they might use it for the domestic procedures related to the war in Ukraine that Russia is waging, which is potentially a justified option. But what we need to be mindful of is that we don't end up with these funds being kind of washed out within multiple initiatives while not having an, an enough of an impact because they have been dispersed within many different initiatives and therefore there is not enough to kind of create a, a difference within uh, a specific fund, a specific uh, compensations initiative or uh, like name it, you, you name it. Said Arima Ra. As of mid-February, only about 20 people worked in the Ministry's Sanctions Policy Department, according to Deputy Justice Minister Irina Mudra, who oversees the government's lawsuits for civil forfeiture. The government contends that Arkady Rottenberg, a close friend of Russian President Vladimir Putin and the builder of the bridge linking Ukraine's Russian-occupied Crimean Peninsula to Russia, transferred the funds from his Kyiv shopping and entertainment complex Ocean Plaza, which he owns via offshore companies, to purchase shares in two Russian military contractors before the war. The Justice Ministry filed a lawsuit for the confiscation of Ocean Plaza Limited with the High Anti-Corruption Court on March 3, 2023. One of Ukraine's largest retail banks, Sandsbank, the former Alpha Bank Ukraine, is linked to sanctioned Russian oligarchs Mikhail Friedman, Pyotr Avan and Andrei Kosogov. Its corporate rights were transferred to Armour in April 2022 as part of Ukraine's criminal prosecution of the three men on suspicion of tax evasion, money laundering and treason. So, the process of confiscating Russian assets in Ukraine has only just started. It is a question of morality and dignity. Such steps will definitely help the Ukrainian economy and strengthen the budget of defense forces. Still, it is quite tricky in juridical moments, as Ukraine wants to stick to international law. At the same time, Ukrainian bureaucratic bodies make the confiscating process slower than Ukrainians want. We just need to be patient enough to see all those who are responsible for war crimes in Ukraine in jail and their money confiscated. And that was the weekly program Ukraine Global, prepared by Viktoria Krukova, presented by Vira Kravchenko and produced by Irina Samsonova.